You're listening to episode number 81 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, where it's all about smart, efficient training so you can crush your cycling goals. And now, your host, Coach Rob Manning. Welcome to episode number 81 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. My website, the Tailwind Coaching blog, my online training plan store, and my episode show notes receptacle are all available at tailwind-coaching.com. And to make sure you don't miss anything new, any new posts, anything new specials, new training plans, and to get some training tips, advice, tricks, and the occasional discounts delivered to your inbox, head on over to the Tailwind Coaching newsletter at tailwind-coaching.com slash signup. If you want to get in hold of me and you want to ask me questions, you can contact me at coachrobdc at gmail.com or coachrobdc at tailwind-coaching.com. You can also follow me on social media by heading over to the tailwind-coaching.com, uh, tailwind-coaching.com and look for the about option on the menu bar at the top. If you enjoy this podcast, please head on over to this podcast and rate it on iTunes. I'll give you a link in the episode show notes, which, by the way, will be found at tailwind-coaching.com slash 81, tailwind-coaching.com slash 81. Those five-star ratings help me move up the ranks, help me reach more people. And the more people I get to reach, the more people get to enjoy riding their bike. And that's what the Tailwind Coaching Podcast is all about. I don't charge anything for it. It's a free to download show. I just want to see you guys enjoy riding and racing your bikes a little bit more. If you do enjoy the podcast and you want to give a little bit back, consider doing your Amazon shopping through my affiliate link. It'll be in the episode show notes as well. And it costs you nothing, but it does help support the show, uh, contribute to some of the bandwidth and hosting costs and things like that. Okay, for those of you who are loyal listeners to the show, you will know this, but I'm going to tell you again anyway. There is a discount code for 10% off of any of my training plans in my online training plan store, and that discount code is PODCAST10, PODCAST10, the number 10. All right, now, to get on to the meat and potatoes of today's show, we're going to talk about cycling, road race, training, and racing tips. Now, I've done a couple of podcasts here on criterium training and on time trial training tips and skills and strategy and things like that. I've had a lot of people tell me, listen, I don't do crits. I'm afraid of the crits. Time trials bore me. I love to do road races. Road racing is what I do. So here we go. I'm going to give you all the information you need to learn how to train for a road race, how to race a road race, and I'm going to give you some of the tips and tricks that I've given all of my clients that helps them win a road race. Okay, so first of all, if I'm going to tell you how to race a road race and how to train for one, we kind of have to determine or define what a road race truly is. You see, a road race is a term that's given to a race that occurs on open paved roads. Now, very often you will have some kind of rolling enclosure for most of these kinds of races, but there is no guarantee. Occasionally you will have a race course which is actually fully closed to traffic. Now, each one of those things is a creature unto itself, right? Each one of those things has its pros, its cons, and there's some things to consider. There's some different rules to each one of them, which I won't go over here. 
If you really want some of the differences between that, I encourage you to take a look at the USA Cycling Roadbook or whatever national governing body you happen to race under, take a look at what their definitions are. However, the key points of a road race are the fact that a road race typically involves a mass start where all the riders in one particular category or field start together and they are scored by physical finishing order. Now, this ignores the ideas of stage races and time bonuses and things like that, but I'm not going to get into those because, indeed, those kind of things are polarizing, to say the least. And stage racing, this is a, the scope of this podcast is a little outside of what stage racing would actually be. Great idea for another podcast, but not for this one per se. The idea of a road race, however, in the physical finishing order is whoever crosses the line first wins, Right? The purest form of competition is whoever gets from point A to point B the fastest and the first one, right? That's been that way since the ancient Greeks and, you know, the development of the marathon, really, you know. Uh, the original Olympics was always a point A to point B or whoever gets there first or the fastest, right? Road races are no different. And road races come in a huge variety of course formats and racing formats, Okay. You have things like circuit races, which cover multiple laps of a specific circuit. There are point-to-point -point races. Now, point-to-point -point race would be something like you would see in the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia, or indeed one of the one-day races like Paris-Roubaix or Ronde van Flandern or one of those. That's a point-to-point -point race where you start in one area, you finish in another area that's completely different. Um, there are also your standard kind of out-and-back type of races where... It, Tour of the Bat and Kill was one of my favorite examples of this. It's a gravel race, of course, but it was a giant loop. It was essentially an out and back where you would travel away from a start line and you would finish essentially at the same start line. In the case of Bat and Kill, it was very close. It wasn't the same line that you left from, but it was very, very close. It was in the same general vicinity. So there's a couple of different kinds of races out there. And... The one common thread among them all is the mass start, um, physical finishing order kind of design and style. Terrain for most road races is anything from flat to hilly terrain, smooth pavement, gravel roads, broken up pavement, anything in between, right? There is a real subsect of road racing right now that is focusing on gravel racing. And gravel racing is... Again, its own complete animal. Um, events like the Dirty Kanza and things, and for those of you who are in Pennsylvania area, the Monkey Knife Fight or things like that, these kind of races are completely different creatures uh, than anything else on the road racing circuit. But again, they are essentially a road race. You can call it a gravel race. You can call it a gravel grinder. You can call it whatever you want. Essentially, it's a road race, even if it's off-road. But anyway, each specific race course, each specific kind of terrain, each specific kind of road surface will demand specific skills. Um, it'll demand specific kind of... Um, kind of general principles and things like that. But the general principles for all road races are essentially all the same. Sorry about that. That dinging you might have heard in the background was just my my iPad uh, 
warning me of something. But and anyway, let's take a look at what you need to be successful in road races in general, regardless of what the actual road races are, right? Now, a good road race training program is designed to turn you into a well-rounded cyclist, not a very specifically attuned cyclist. So you're not going to become a track racer. You're not going to become a crit racer specifically, but a good road racing training program will give you the tools and the fitness necessary to handle most, not all, but most of the situations you may come across, right? And you're going to want to make sure that most of these components are included in any of your training programs. And now it goes without saying, of course, if you're looking for a pre-built program, all of my training programs include some variation of the concepts I'm about to talk about, and you can find those on my website over at tailwind-coaching.com. There's also a link in the episode show notes. So, assuming you want to build your own program, you're looking at yourself and you're going, gee, you know what? I know really well what my goals are. I really know what these races are like. I've done them before, but I'm not quite there yet. I know exactly what I need to add in there. I know how to build a program. I'm going to give you the tools you need to build an effective road race training program. Okay, so what is in a road race training plan that you need to ensure that you're going to be a well-rounded, competitive racer? Well, the number one thing you're going to need is a amount of muscular endurance to be able to last the distance of your race. Now, I've talked about muscular endurance so many times in the past, I can't even count them all. I can't even tell you how many times I've discussed it. Muscular endurance, again, is simply the ability for your body to handle an increased amount of time under tension, or the amount of time you're putting out significant amounts of power. It's usually the basis of most training programs, especially my training programs. And in this case, you know, it's going to be a very important component of your actual training program. However, and this is probably the only time you're ever going to hear me say this, muscular endurance is not the most important skill you're going to need to be successful in most road races. In most road races, assuming you are racing intelligently, you're going to spend a lot of time at extremely low intensities. Right? You're going to need enough muscular endurance to handle the hot spots in the race. Those pieces where, if you listen to Phil and Paul, you're going to say the race is hotting up or something of that nature. But those points when the race really takes off and you really need to be able to throw down. All right? However you really should not be spending most of the race on boil, all right? You should not have to be making huge efforts over and over and over and over and over and over again unless your general fitness just isn't there. Now, without those repeated huge efforts, such as in a criterium or something like that, you are going to need a little bit less, all right, if you're doing a criterium, you're doing a time trial, you need a huge amount of muscular endurance just to be able to handle the stress on your body that that race produces. All right, you need to be able to push giant gears in those races constantly. In a road race, that's not the case. In a road race, assuming you're racing intelligently, you don't need to spend that much time under tension. You need to have the muscular endurance to survive those gigantic efforts and then dial it back so that you can recover in between. In terms of muscular endurance, 
What do you need in your training program? Well, you're going to be doing multiple intervals of 20 to 45 minutes piece, 65 to 75 RPM, and that's going to help you build the fatigue resistance you really need to survive a longer road race. And you can combine those muscular endurance intervals with sweet spot type work in order to build your endurance, your aerobic endurance at the same time. And this is a concept that I use in most of my training programs, and I recommend most people follow. And the idea is that assuming you can combine some of your aerobic training with some of your skills training with some of your high intensity training, you can get more out of the same training time than you would in any other case right? So combining muscular endurance intervals with sweet spot training not only builds that muscular endurance capacity, but it also builds that aerobic endurance at the same time. And it's ultimately much more repeatable and much more recoverable than a really super high intensity training program. Now, along with muscular endurance, you need functional threshold power capacity and you need VO2 max capacity. And the importance of those two cannot really be understated because, as I talked about in my time trial or my crit training podcast, the more that you build that VO2 max and raise that fitness ceiling, the less time you're going to spend above your threshold. And the less time you spend above your threshold, the less red zone energy you're going to use or the, rest ana- the less anaerobic capacity you're going to use on those small accelerations. Right? We only have a limited amount of anaerobic capacity if... For example, if you have a battery and you start to discharge that battery really fast by a real fast, you know, really big power draw, right? Take your iPhone, for example. You start playing a really intensive, graphically intensive, audio intensive game on that. Your battery is going to start draining pretty quickly. Now you plug it into the charger. It does not recharge as fast as you drain it while you're playing that game. Unplug the charger, turn on the game again, it drains again. Now your battery is down significantly from full, even though you've put some charge into it, all right? Your anaerobic capacity is very much like that. It's an energy reserve. It's a giant battery. And the idea here is if you build that VO2 max capacity and that functional threshold capacity high, you can make accelerations without ever really dipping into that anaerobic capacity significantly. The less you dip in, the more you're able to recover just by sitting in the peloton and the better off you're going to be. On the flip side, if you don't have that sufficient functional threshold power development, you're going to die on those repeated accelerations in the peloton, those final moves that decide the race, those little climbs, things like that. All right. Now, I need to also point out that if you take a look at aerobic endurance, you need aerobic endurance development, right? Now, it's not something that I've spent a lot of time on in most of my podcasts, but aerobic endurance development is incredibly, incredibly important in terms of a road race. Some road races can be upwards of four, five, or six hours, right? Four, five, or six hours. Without a sufficient aerobic endurance capacity, you're going to be smoked by the end of that race. And if you're smoked at the end of the race, you can't make a move that's going to help you win that race right? That makes com- That's common sense. It doesn't matter how good your VO2 max is. It doesn't matter how high your functional threshold power is. If you train for an hour and that's the length of the race that you're training for, and you only have the aerobic endurance to go for an hour, but the race is four, you're not going to make it. All right? So 
In order to build that functional threshold power and that VO2 level fitness, you need to add a variety of VO2 max intervals and a variety of FTP intervals to your program. VO2 max intervals are generally anywhere between 3 and 8 minutes, uh, anywhere from 110 to 120, 125% of threshold power. Um, combine that with a different day of somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes worth of functional threshold power work. Uh, those intervals can be repeated a couple times a week just to build that fitness ceiling. And again, the higher you build that fitness ceiling, the less you're going to have to dip into your red zone or your battery in order to make those moves in the peloton in order to make sure that you are able to stay in with a shot by the end. Now, if we're talking about a road race, one of the most important keys to performing well in a road race is being efficient. Now, being efficient has two parts to it, and I'll talk about the second part in a little bit, but the number one way to be efficient is to really increase your neuromuscular efficiency and reduce the energy expenditure for any given effort. And I've said this over and over and over again, if you want to go faster, you need to be more efficient, because the more efficient you are at pushing the pedals, the less energy you lose between the pedals and the wheel the less energy you lose between your body burning it off as heat and that wheel, that rear wheel that propels you down the road. You see, every muscle in your body is basically comprised of a whole bunch of little tiny muscle fibers, and those are basically um, bundles of fascicles, which are muscle cells. Uh, and when you want to move your legs, your brain sends a signal from your brain to your muscles, and it basically tells you to contract, right? So if I want to push the pedal down, my brain sends a signal from my brain down my spinal cord into my legs and into that quad, and it tells that quad to contract and push, right? Now, the problem is because your muscle is, your muscle is not, your muscle is not one nerve connection to a muscle. There's hundreds and thousands of little nerve connections to each one of those little bundles of fibers. Now, when that signal comes on down there, sometimes it's discoordinated, it's uncoordinated. The first few times you pedal a bike, the contractions from your brain or the signal from your brain to your legs is a little bit uncoordinated. So each one of those little muscle fascicles or little muscle cells fires just a hair differently from the guy next to it. And they end up fighting each other a little bit. They're a little bit uncoordinated. If you've ever watched a video or a, a film or seen in person a true military parade line, you know, that steps in person or in time, you can always tell when one guy's just a little bit off, right? Your muscles are the same way. The more that you actually practice contracting all those muscle fibers together, the more efficient your body is, the less potential power is lost because your muscle fibers are fighting themselves. They're not working together with each other. So increasing how coordinated your muscle contractions are will actually save energy for when it counts. And I've talked about this plenty of times in the past, and it remains true again. In order to build that neuromuscular efficiency, you're going to need some specific interval work, such as super spins, 
above 130 RPM, hold it for 30, 45 seconds, 60 seconds, 120 seconds, as long as you can. Spin-ups from a really low RPM to a really high RPM, right? So if you're going downhill, start at that really easy low cadence and start ramping it up, ramping it up, ramp, 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 ramp until you hit the bottom of the hill, you're doing 130, 140, 150 RPM. And to really build the coordination between all the different muscle fibers and muscle groups that make up a pedal stroke, single leg drills are a great way to do it. Now, I might as well tell you this, that you can obviously do neuromuscular efficiency work and you know neuromuscular training along with aerobic work, along with sweet spot work, and you can even do neuromuscular training work with VO2 type intervals, functional threshold intervals. It just takes a little bit of creative planning. But you can build these into any training program, anywhere. And if you're doing a road race training program, you're going to want to know that you can build these into descents, you can build them into flat sections, you can build them into climbs, really, even if you wanted to. So you're going to do these between one and three days a week, depending on which part of your training program you're at. So that's really the three biggest keys. I guess you could call it four biggest keys, but if you consider threshold power and VO2 max intervals as two different things. But really, those are the big keys that you're going to need for an effective road race training program. But that's only about half the story. You see, road races are not just as simple as the strongest guy wins. In fact, that's rarely the case. You've heard the moniker or you've heard the saying that the fastest guy doesn't win the race. The smartest guy wins the race. Well... There's a couple of very specific intervals that you can include in your road race training program that will help you be that smarter guy, maybe be that faster guy, but definitely be that stronger guy. If you get this training down pat, when it comes time to really unleash it, if you're smart about it, these skills, these key skills, these key intervals can be the difference between you standing on the top step of the podium and you finishing outside the medals. Now, the first key skill that you're going to need in order to ensure that you have a shot at winning a road race is something that I call a race winner. Now, I've included these in a number of my training programs, and I know for a fact that these are probably one of the most hated intervals that I've ever put into any training program. In fact, I would say that the race winner intervals, these are probably, these probably make up the most miserable workout I've ever built aside from the Minuteman workout, which you guys can find on a previous post of mine, and it's also on my Zwift uh, training page. But race winners are a really special kind of interval. They're a specific kind of interval that mimics the need for you to either break away from the field and win a race break away from the field or win a bunch sprint, a reduced bunch sprint, or to stick with a big acceleration and finish it off after a really hard effort at the end of a race, all right? The idea behind this, um, it's, well, let me step back. It's also, even if you're not using it to train for an end of race situation, it's a fantastic way to force your body to really chew down its anaerobic energy and really start to work on raw VO2 capacity by pushing your body to produce power in an ultra-depleted state, a really anaerobically depleted state, your body is forced to 
really ramp up the the aerobic machinery and tap into some really deep anaerobic reserves and that's that's an important key to be able to finish out a road race in strong fashion now what exactly is a race winner interval a race winner is essentially a 30 second effort of around 150 to 175% of your threshold and after that initial 30-second burst, which would either simulate breaking away from the field or latching onto a move that's going or latching onto a sprinter's wheel, you continue a hard effort for somewhere between 3 and 8 minutes of VO2 level effort, right? That VO2 level effort is going to be somewhere between 110 and 125% of your functional threshold. Again, that mimics that last push to the line. And you finish it off with a maximum power sprint effort. Now, those maximum power efforts are incredibly difficult after one of these breakaway type efforts. And you're going to find that you're going to really flag at the end of these when you start out. Repeat these three to five times per session, maybe once a week. And suddenly you're going to realize that it's not so bad when you need to make a move from a really hard end-of-race acceleration, which is exactly what these are designed to mimic. Now, the next specific piece of road racing skills you're going to need is something I just talked about, and that is VO2 max capacity or VO2 max intervals. These guys are basically the bread and butter for increasing your late-game success Anytime you have a road race, right? So once the hammer goes down in a road race, it's not going to be a functional threshold type effort. It's not going to be you sitting there at a time trial type pace and holding on. No, no, no. no. When the hammer goes down, you're going to get smashed in the face and you're going to have to really tear some legs off if you want to stay with that kind of acceleration. All right, and I apologize for that. I'm looking at my waveform right now, and I think I may have just blown your ears right out. Um, I'm going to try and fix that in post. <clears throat> but anyway, VO2 max type intervals are definitely going to need to be a variety of high-intensity type intervals. There's not one specific situation that will suffice for every kind of eventuality. You're going to have to work on a couple of different lengths and intensities of intervals. All right. Now, there's a link in the episode show notes at tailwind-coaching.com slash 81. And that's going to give you a couple of really fantastic intervals. All right. The 3-2-2-1 workout and the 3-3-3 workout. These are two workouts that I really, really love for building VO2 max capacity at a variety of different intensities. They're very specific. They stimulate very specific physiological systems and physiological gains. And they're very similar to a race winner type of interval in a couple of ways, but the entire idea behind these is to force you to exhaust that anaerobic capacity and really build your aerobic fitness, right? So take a look at those intervals. I'm not going to go into them here. There's an entire post dedicated to those, and I encourage you to take a look at that post. It's a really important post. Now, as I mentioned earlier on, I mentioned VO2 max intervals. Pure VO2 max intervals, none of the fancy stuff, none of the 3-2-2-1, the 3-3-3 type workouts. 
Pure intervals are, again, somewhere between 3 and 8 minutes in long length, 110 to 120 or 125% of your functional threshold power. The longer the interval, the lower the overall intensity you're going to be able to sustain. And depending on the length and intensity of the interval, you're going to repeat anywhere between 3 and 9 times with equal rest in between each interval in order to produce a set. And generally, if I want somebody to do VO2 max work, they're doing it one day per week, maybe two days per week as a race begins to really come down the pipe. Now, on top of that VO2 max interval capacity, you have to be able to have interval repeatability. Interval repeatability is an absolutely essential part of a criterium race. All right, and I talked about that pretty significantly in that criterium racing and training podcast. Road races on one hand, are not much different, but on the other hand, they are extremely different, right? Repeatability is not as frequent, it's not as sharp, and it's not as intense in a road race. However, repeatability is an aspect that really comes into play later in the game of a road race as opposed to the whole day. Granted, there will definitely be road races where you have one team that likes to just try and wring the neck of the entire peloton or you have one guy that for some reason just cannot freaking give up and stop trying to cause problems and you'll have that crit style intensity or that crit style repeatability going on but for the most part road races go like this really really fast start really chill middle really really fast section really chill middle ramp it up 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 to the finish Right? That's kind of how a road race tends to go. Right? In terms of interval repeatability, I say it counts at the end of a race because that's when people are all going to make their moves. That's when most people have the best shot of making their moves. All right? It's very rare that you're going to see somebody break away at you know mile 5 of a 50-mile race and solo to the finish. All right? So repeatability is a really two-part process for a road race. First of all, you have the standard repeatability intervals, Tabata-type intervals, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off for five minutes at a time. Uh, you have the three by three minutes at 130% of VO2 of your functional threshold power uh, to really help your body adapt to recovering from those hard efforts. Um, once you start building up some recovery potential from those Tabata-type intervals or those three by threes or whatever the case is, you can start performing those repeatability intervals once you're fatigued, right? This is the second part of the process. After a really long ride or following a really significant amount of training stress, so at the end of a couple of FTP days or something like that, jump on a day of repeatability intervals. Those are much, much tougher to handle when your body is fatigued. Now, that fatigued that fatigue state that you're in post-FTP efforts, post-long training week, is simulating the kind of conditions you're going to see at the end of a road race. The more fatigue your body has, the harder it's going to be to create repeatability in these intervals. So, practicing that outside of a road race situation is the absolute best way for you to get an idea of what it will take to finish out a road race strong. Right? So, if you really want to, I don't know, put the screws to your repeatability capacity, one of my favorite combinations, which I've given to people in the past and they generally hate me for it, is um, 
three or four eight-minute VO2 intervals. So three or four intervals of eight minutes at about 110 to 115% of threshold power, followed by a couple of sets of Tabata-type intervals. Now, these are the 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off type of interval. Most people hate those. You will fail the first set of Tabatas. I can almost guarantee you, you will fail them. After three or four, if you're doing anywhere between 25 and 30 minutes of VO2 work first, you're going to fail that first set of Tabata intervals the first time you do it. Don't be afraid. Keep trying. Eventually, you'll realize, my God, my body's become able to adapt to this kind of work at this fatigue level. And that's the point where you realize, great, I can handle this in any kind of road racing situation. Now, if you really want to up the game a little bit, you want to take a chance, you want a shot at that podium, a couple of marginal gains, some tips and some tricks to help you road race more effectively are absolutely in order. And I've got a couple of really, really good tips to help you hit that podium. But what are these marginal gains and tips that are going to help you race that road race more effectively? Well, number one, efficiency is the key to success. I said earlier that I was going to talk about being efficient and how that was going to help you win a road race. Well, it's pretty simple. If you want to win a road race, you just need to be smarter than everybody else. Now, I know that sounds pretty difficult. It sounds, holy smokes, how am I going to be able to do that? Well, really, the smartest rider wins the race, not the strongest. And that applies from anything, from track races, to Tour de France stages, to world championships, to town line sprints. By riding smarter than the guy next to you, victory is much, much easier to achieve than if you just rely on strength alone. All right. Now, the biggest thing that you can do to ride smarter is to position yourself correctly in the peloton. What do I mean by that? Well, you need to stay near the front third of the peloton and you need to keep your nose out of the wind. And that's worth repeating a couple of times. Keep your nose out of the wind. Don't put out any more effort than you really need to. Because the longer you sit on the front of the field and you sit in the, in the wind, you sit out of the draft, the more energy you're going to spend, the less you're going to have to spend later in the race. It's like if you spend all of your money in the first week of the month, what are you going to do for the last three weeks of the month? You won't have anything there, right? Now, it's worth saying this. It does not mean that if you're going to sit in and do nothing, you should expect to win, right? Sitting in and never putting your face in the wind is counterintuitive, right? It's counterproductive in many cases because if a move is getting away and that move's going to win, you better be prepared to spend some energy to chase it down or to help chase it down. Otherwise, you're not going to have a shot. You're simply not going to be able to win if somebody gets away from the field and you refuse to help chase, right? It is better to spend a bunch of energy and have a sliver of hope at that win. Then sit in the field. Don't chase that group. And have no shot whatsoever. A 1% chance of winning is still better than zero. Let me repeat that. A 1% chance of winning is still better than zero. 
So if you have to chase that move because nobody else wants to and you want to win, chase it down. You're better off having some chance than none at all. Right? Now, speaking of winning, you need to have a plan on how you're going to win this thing. Right? Building a plan for a road race. I mean, really, a road race plan, that could be a podcast in itself. Right? I mean... There are so many nuances and so many little things to consider when you are building a racing plan. Uh, that's what sets good director sportives apart from terrible director sportives, for Christ's sake. It's a huge, huge deal. But to put it simply, you need to make a plan based on your strengths and weaknesses. And I'm not talking about one. I'm talking about several plans. Okay, Your A-level plan should offer you the best possible chance of winning based on your strongest your strongest capacity as a rider. So for example, if you are a phenomenal sprinter, you're a, a giant beast that can blow people away from 250 meters, your A plan should be to sit into that field and be third, second, third, fourth, wherever your preferred sprinting position is. Be in that position and ready to go at 250 meters because that is your best chance to win, right? Your B plan, your plan B, should be based on your next biggest strength. Perhaps that sprinter who's so fast at 250 meters is also pretty strong and a five, you know, a five kilometer effort, right? Maybe they're really good for about five to six minutes on top of being a good sprinter, so, guess what? If you suddenly realize that, great, I'm sitting in the group, the field is all together, I've got about eight, nine minutes left in this race, but, oh, man, we didn't get rid of that ringer. We didn't get rid of that Cat 3 sprinter, that Cat 2, that Cat 1 sprinter who's sitting there and who I know can beat me. He's beaten me before. Your A plan just went out the window. Sure, you might beat him. But if you're pretty sure that, man, I don't think I got a shot at this, plan B time. When you hit that 5K to go, you need to be gone. That's your second best shot of winning. Actually, at this point, because there's somebody who's much faster than you, that's not your best shot of winning, right? Let's say, for example, that your C plan, right, has to be deployed. Maybe... All right, let's let's say maybe a break has gotten away and you're in the break. Well, your C plan is going to be win from the break. You've already put out a lot of energy, but you might be able to beat them. So, well, your C plan is going to be jump into a break and hope that it works. And of course, your final plan should really just be based on the terrain and be a last ditch effort. All right. It might just be a case of well, geez, there's an uphill finish. I need to be 20, 30, 40 seconds clear of the field by the time I hit the bottom of that climb. Otherwise, there's no shot of me making an actual win, right? <clears throat> so in this case, if that's what it comes down to, suddenly your last-ditch effort might be your shot of winning. But the point here is you need to build your training, your racing plan, not your training plan, but your racing plan around your strengths. Look at what you are good at. If you're a climber, you're going to have to play to the strengths of a climber. If it's a rolling course, you might have to get away on one of those little climbs. 
If it's a climber's course, you have to pick the spot where you're going to go, where you're pretty sure you have the best shot of winning based on your skills as a climber, right? Now, along with the efficiency and the sitting in the field and being smart, keep this in mind. You should only make a move if that move is going to help you win. So if you're going to keep yourself hidden, you're probably not making any dumb moves to start with, right? You're not making any silly moves off the front, but you still need to move throughout the field. The field will shift, shuffle, and reform constantly throughout a road race. You need to be able to move through it. Sometimes you might need to cover a move off the front or a breakaway. However, no matter what move you're about to make, always ask yourself the question, Will this move ultimately help me win this race? Does moving up through the field right now put me in a position to help me win later on? Can being in a better position coming into the next lap, the final lap, help me more if I spend the energy now? Will it net something in the end? Does chasing the breakaway that just went off the front of the field, does that make sense? Is that breakaway likely to be the move that wins the race and takes any chance I have of winning this race away? Will sitting on this particular person's wheel give me a better chance of sprinting for the win as opposed to sitting on the other guy's wheel and having to make a move to get to that other person's wheel? The take-home message of this one is to never make a move that has no purpose. Calculate each move and whether it fits in with your A plan, your B plan, your C plan, or even your D plan. Don't make a move that doesn't make sense. I can tell you this one. <clears throat> this is one that was very, very clear to me. I remember actually a race where... I had actually gotten into a breakaway off the front of a field um, with three, it was three of us in this break, right? Two of us wanted to drive the break. One guy just wanted to sit on, kept shaking his head. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Right? So the two of us just drove the break. Well, turns out <laughs> the guy who sat on, shaking his head every time it was pulled, tried to pull through, Managed to drop both of us and go for the win. Right? He didn't make a move that didn't have a purpose. He knew he had two strong guys with him that were going to just tow him to the line because we kept towing him to the line. So what impetus would he have to make a move that would reduce his chances of winning? That was a case of me not being smart. It was a case of the guy who was, you know, trading turns with not being smart. We didn't make a move that made sense. He did. So keep that in mind too. And that segues perfectly into my final point or my next point here to know who you're racing against. <clears throat> I'll take responsibility for this one because I didn't do my homework on this kid. Turns out this kid happened to be a junior uh, track racer who was pretty well decorated. Like national champion decorated. Right? You can't win a race if you're not sure who's riding right next to you in the peloton. 
In the case that I just described, I had no idea that this kid was a national champion track cyclist. He was just another kid who was racing. And he kicked my ass. Right? You have to know who your opponents are. So take a look at their racing history. Most road races have a time period in between when registration closes and the actual race itself. During that time period, what you should be doing is looking at the start list. You should be looking for names that you recognize that you've raced with before. You should be looking at names that you aren't familiar with and looking up their results, looking up what they've done. How do they race? What have they performed well in? All right. Familiarize yourself with them, with their team, so that you can figure out who they are on race day and you can figure out what they're good at as well. All right. If you find someone to race that you know what kind of terrain they excel in. <clears throat> so you happen to find a guy who excels at short, punchy climbs. If they make a move in a race and you're a pretty decent rider or pretty decent roller, you pretty damn well should be going with them. You should know enough that if they make a move and they're good at that kind of move and they have a strength in that type of move, you need to go with them. If you're a pretty solid climber and you see another guy that you know is a solid climber make a move, you should go with him, right? If you come to the end of the race and you're a sprinter, you need to know who the good sprinters are so you can latch onto a decent wheel to get a lead out. Know who you're racing against if you're actually going to have a shot of winning, right? And finally, it's worth saying to let the race profile dictate how you use your strengths. So no matter what you are strong at, no matter what you are good at, ultimately, the race course is going to dictate how you use that strength. If you have a high power to weight ratio, you're going to make moves when the road tilts upward. It doesn't matter how long that climb is, if it's a bump or if it's a mountain. That's where you're going to make your move. If you're a sprinter, you're going to hope to wait for the end of the race. Rollers, Godspeed, the whole race could be yours. Break away, try to win alone, win from a group, win from a breakaway. Flat races, those of you who are time trialists, big wattage, sprinters, good aerodynamics, that's going to play into your favor. Study the race profile. Figure out how your abilities fit into it. Now, sometimes you're going to enter a race where you're looking at the profile and you're just going, man, I, I just, I don't have a chance. You know, that I'm not good at this kind of race. I've said it myself. I've entered races where I just say, man, I'm not good at this kind of race. That's okay. Those kind of races are the races where you start trying things out. You start trying different things. For example, if you're a rollers like I am, you might, you know, start trying to break away and attempt to get away from the field on a nice small rise and then hold them off. Um, you might attempt a sprint. You might try to make a long distance breakaway. You might try to just shell a bunch of people off the back of the field, a bunch of the skinny climbers off the back of the field so that you have a better shot on that little rise by the finish, right? Try different things. Learn. 
where you can be strong, how to utilize your strengths when it comes to any specific kind of race course, and soon enough, you're going to be sniffing the podium. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, you can find the episode show notes at tailwind-coaching.com slash 81. There's a lot of great links in there. Also encourage you to go over there, rate the podcast five stars on iTunes, help me move up those rankings. And again, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, consider doing your Amazon shopping through one of my affiliate links and help support that. Um, Until next time, folks, keep the shiny side up, keep the rubber side down, race smart, race hard, be fast, and I'll be talking to you all again really, really soon.